passage for today's sermon comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. The word of God speaks to us like this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving a crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to, the, to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? This is the word of God to us. All right. Well, good morning, guys. It's good to see you today. I'm glad you're here. And, um, and we're, we're opening the book of Mark. And so we're in the fourth chapter. If you've got a Bible, we'll be in the passage that was just read moments ago. And before we pray, I just want to say we had a really great week this last week here at our church with VBS. Uh, we had hundreds of kids in here with volunteers, and it was a phenomenal week. And so uh, thanks for being a part of that, if you were. Uh, over 60 volunteers a part of that, adult volunteers. And so it was just amazing to see uh, so much of, of this happening here. We got to bus over uh, some, some, some kids that we've been ministering to on the east side of the city. And there was just a lot of mission, a lot of heart, and, and a lot of cool stories coming out of that week. So thanks for uh, giving to our church, for participating in our church, and for praying for us this last week at VBS. It was a great Great success. Hey, as we jump into the word today, let me pray. You pray for me, I'll pray for you, and, uh, and we'll, get, we'll get started. Father, as we come before your word today, um, we come in the name of Jesus. And so thank you, Father, that you speak in every way that we need you to, that you address us with your word in all kinds of ways that we couldn't predict on our own but that we need most deeply. And Father, we, we do confess today things that we've experienced is true, that your word is able to go to places in our hearts that no one else's word can go. And so we just wanna open ourselves now. Would you please give us the capacity to open ourselves now to understand your voice, to understand what you're teaching us, and would you give us the capacity just to say yes to you today? to say yes to Jesus. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, several years ago, when I was in seminary, I was probably 25 years old, and uh, I was brand new to preaching, and I still feel in many ways like I'm brand new to preaching, but uh, I, I was sort of new to the discipline itself and, and aspiring to be one who might open God's word to, to God's people. And I heard then the, be, the best preaching advice I've ever, the best instruction I've ever heard on preaching. And it rings in my mind all the time. And it rung, rung true again uh, this week. Dr. Russell Moore, one of my heroes in the faith, uh, told me this. He said, when you're preaching, you, your assignment is to do two things at the same time. It's to help your listeners understand that the passage in front of them is more familiar to them than they think it is. And at the same time, to show your listeners that it's not as familiar to them as they think it is, 
right? So for some of you in the room uh, who have no experience with God's word, maybe you're new to church, you're new to Christianity, and you feel like these things are far from you, uh, part of my task today is to show you that you actually do understand more of what's happening here than you think you might. And for those of you who are here and you go, no, I'm seasoned in all of this, and I've been around, uh, this is not my first rodeo, this is not my first sermon, hey, this passage today, or any passage of scripture, isn't as familiar as you think it is. There's much more going on. The passage we have before us today, Jesus calming the storm, is a familiar passage that most of you, if whether or not you have time in church, you've been around this passage before. There's artwork that depicts this passage. Uh, you've probably seen this in some Christian bookstore somewhere or in some museum somewhere. Uh, there's pop cultural references to this passage and this story that come up from time to time. And the temptation for us, when we come up to something familiar to us, when we come up to something that, oh, we've heard that before, Jesus calms the storm. We, we've heard that before. The temptation is that we can tend to tune this out like that beeping noise in your car that tells you to put the seatbelt on, right? You've just ignored it for so long that you don't tend to hear it anymore until maybe someone outside of your world gets in the car with you and says, hey, would you please obey that beep, right? It's killing me, right? Or maybe it's like that stop sign that's oddly placed on your way to work or in your neighborhood that you just sort of roll right on through it because you feel like it doesn't deserve your attention. You've been around it, you're familiar with it, and so you roll right on through it. The temptation around something familiar is that we can roll right by it. And so the advice I received several years ago, again, is true today. For some of you who have maybe no reference of this story, you're gonna find out that as we read through it, it's plain enough in its reading that God is going to speak to you in ways that you can understand and what he's pointing to. I want you to rest assured of that. And for those of you that might be so familiar with this story that you've been in Sunday school classes or you've heard sermons or uh, you've read this in your own reading before, hey, there's actually more stuff here. There's more stuff going on then you might realize, and you're not as familiar with this passage, and that was my experience this week as you think you might be. So there's four observations I want us to see today as we roll through this text. I want us to look at the authenticity of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and I didn't know how else to say this, so I just called it the unmanageability of Jesus. We'll get to there in a second. The unmanageability of Jesus, and then the patience and the supremacy of Jesus. Those are the four observations we'll have through this passage today. And so let's get to work with the authenticity of Jesus. Look back at verse 35 with me. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was asleep, or he was in the stern, asleep, on a cushion. This short little account in the book of Mark is packed with so many details that aren't typical for other accounts in the book of Mark. What we've been experiencing to this point in the book is that when Mark tells us about a moment in the life of Jesus, he gives us just enough details so that we have an idea of what's going on and then he moves on. Uh, The book of Mark, it moves very quickly and he just wants you to catch some of the bottom lines of what's happening there because he has a point in all of this to show that this one Jesus really is the Son of God. But in this account, even though it's short, Mark slows down a bit. He slows down a bit in what he's doing and giving us this account 
because he gives us more details than he typically does. He gives us vivid pictures of what was happening in this moment. He uses a phrase that begins this passage in verse 35, on that day, he says, on that day. So this is connected to everything else that was happening in chapter four. Josh walked us through the parables of Jesus last week, and it was on that same day that Jesus rolled out these parables. He, it said he stood on a boat out from the shore with the waves behind him that created an amphitheater for his voice to be heard by many, and he was teaching these parables. And so this passage now shows up on that same day on that same day that these parables first rolled out. It then tells us that he hopped into the boat just as he was, it says. As if to say he wasn't going back to shore and regrouping with his guys. He was just out there in the water and hopped from one boat to the next just as he was. It also tells us that there were other boats with him. So there were observers here. There were people who were witnesses of this moment. They weren't the only ones out there, as if to say that Whatever they say goes because no one else could see it. There were other people with them. It tells us that when the storm came, that the boat was already filling. You can almost feel the anxiety of what was happening in this storm. The boat was filling up. They were trying to bail out the water and they couldn't stop it. And then he pauses and tells us this detail that Jesus was asleep. But he wasn't just asleep. He was asleep on a cushion. Uh, some translations would even say it was a leather cushion, right? So there's, there's details here that are remarkable. And why am I calling out these details? Well, because in the grand scheme of things, none of these things really move the story forward. They're here like you might experience them sitting over coffee with someone as they told you about something that happened to them. They're there as color commentary. They're there to kind of bring vivid detail to this whole thing. These are the kinds of details that can only be given by someone who experienced this account and is replaying it over in their mind. These are the kinds of things that can only be said by someone who had first-person account, which is why they're recalling this. all this was happening. It was on the same day, and there were other boats with us out there, and things were getting crazy. The boat was filling up, and then Jesus is on sleep with this cushion, this leather cushion. Like, this is first-person account. This is someone who actually experienced these things. I'm telling you the truth. I was there in the boat. Now, the reason I'm making a point of all of this is because Jesus is about to stand up in the middle of this boat from his nap and speak to this storm like a parent speaks to a misbehaving child. And the storm does exactly what he says in the same way that mama bear speaks up and the kids obey. Sit on the couch and stay there, right? And unless you didn't know any better, you might think that what's happening here is the stuff of legend. It's the stuff of lore, that people are just eventually over time telling big fish stories about Jesus. So it started out that there was a crazy storm and then it stopped when Jesus showed up and then it eventually it got told again and it was like, no, 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 he was asleep with a cushion and then he stood up. This is not the stuff of legend. This is the stuff of authenticity. This is the stuff of realness. And so our familiarity shouldn't move us to, well, that stuff doesn't happen. People can't really stand up and say no to storms. Yeah, but this actually happened. And Jesus can do that because he's not like us. So this really happened. This isn't make-believe. This was a real evening with a real storm 
with real people in multiple boats. These were experienced sailors. These were fishermen who had been on the Sea of Galilee before. This wasn't their first rodeo. This wasn't their first storm. And yet the storm was intense enough that they were scared for their lives. And the real man, Jesus Christ, was really sleeping in the back of the boat on a cushion. All of this really happened. This is the authenticity of Jesus. This is the authenticity of the biblical account. And the reason I want to pull over on this this morning is that the realness, the earthiness of Jesus, that he had skin just like us in this moment, taking on a real moment, takes him out of the realm of the philosophical where we want to put him. It takes him out of the realm of the philosophical. It takes him out of the realm of, well, this is what I would like to believe about God. This actually happened. The realness of Jesus forces you to deal with him. It forces you to deal with him. Not with what you want to think about him. Not with what you want to idealize about religiosity or morals or ethics. This forces you to deal with the man, Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, the greatest question that you could ever answer in life. And it's not a question that you just answer once. It's a question that you answer over and over again is this. What are you going to do with the Son of God? Not some ethereal idea, not some make-believe scenario of a moral mascot in ancient days. No, 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 no. What are you going to do with the Son of God, the man, Jesus Christ? That's the greatest question any of us can answer. There are times where you want to pick and choose what you like in the Bible and what you like about Jesus and what you don't like about the Bible and what you don't like about Jesus. But if this moment really happened, and it did, then it doesn't really matter what you and I think. (laughs) It doesn't really matter how you and I feel. The question is, who is this Jesus and what difference does he make in your life? This is a man who the wind and the waves obey him. You can't just indifferently roll past a man with this kind of authority and reduce him to morals or reduce him to ethics or reduce him to someone that you'll consult for advice situationally as though he gets a say on some things and not other things. This is a man that even the wind and the waves obey. The question is with the authenticity of Jesus What are you going to do with the Son of God? That's a question all of us have to answer, and we have to answer repeatedly. But this thing then moves where we see something of this Jesus. He has power. The power of Jesus. Pick up with me in verse 38. It says that he was in the stern. He was asleep on the cushion. And then they awoke him, saying to him, Teacher, do you care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, And said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. If there's anything that ancient cultures agree on, across different belief system, across different ideologies, across different spiritualities, if there's anything that ancient cultures would agree on, it's that the sea is a place of mystery and chaos. That it's untamable. The sea doesn't take notice of who's out there and decides whether or not to attack them or not. The sea doesn't take names. It doesn't take prisoners. Storms don't take names. They don't take prisoners. They fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. They fall on the believing and the unbelieving, right? The sea is a place of great chaos. 
even though in our modern times we know stuff through microbiology, we still can't tame the sea. And so even ancient cultures would say, we don't know what to do with it out there. Only God has control of the sea. Only God has control of the sea. And so then Jesus stands up like a commander-in-chief. He makes an executive decision, and the sea responds to him without argument. Peace, be still. One of the ways that you translate this from the, the original language from the Greek, a probably more literal translation of this is, be calm and stay calm. And the sea says, yes, sir. And it's calm. With the word, Jesus does something about something that was threatening our very lives, the, the very lives of the disciples. And notice here what's amazing about this, the power of Jesus. He doesn't appeal to a higher authority. He doesn't say, in the name of so-and-so, do this thing. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't say, uh, by the power of this other deity, do this thing. He just stands up and says what needs to happen, and it happens. Just take this moment in, right? Not lore, not legend, an actual moment. Unless you think that this is, well, just, that's, just, that's an interesting moment. That, lucky chance, it actually obeyed him, as though that's a one-off moment for the power of Jesus. This is a regular thing throughout the scriptures. There's this other story that maybe you're familiar with from John chapter 11, where his friend Lazarus died, and Mary and Martha are there crying, and he weeps with them for a moment, but then he walks over to the tomb of this man Lazarus, and he just stands there, just like he stood in this moment, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. <laughs> he came out. There, there's a story about that, um, about that account of scripture from a, uh, an, an, a little English kid back several years ago, one of my favorite preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was in Sunday school. And the Sunday school teacher said, do you know why Jesus said, Lazarus, come out? And then little Lloyd-Jones said, well, had he not specified, all the dead would have come out. <laughs> it's the power of Jesus, the power of his word. Just like in this moment, peace be still, and it happens. Lazarus come out, and he does. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. This is another moment where Jesus is showing that he is God. And notice this next word, notice this next, this next line. And he upholds the universe, how? By the word of his power. Gravity is working right now. The earth is rotating right now and the entire universe is doing universe things right now because of the command of Jesus. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. It's talking about the end times and the rise of the Antichrist, but notice again the power of Jesus. And then the lawless one will, the lawless one will be revealed as though there's this dualistic battle between good and evil. On the contrary, when this lawless one is revealed, whom the Lord Jesus, by the way, will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing the appearance of his coming. <laughs> the power of Jesus. So we've already seen in the book of Mark the power of Jesus over disease. We've seen his authority over 
the issue of sin when he healed the paralytic, but he first forgave his sins. We've seen now the power of Jesus over creation. There's also the power of Jesus over death and the power of Jesus over darkness. The power of Jesus is unilateral. And notice what happens in this story, verse 41. It says, and they were filled with great fear. They said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What's crazy about this story is the story ends, other translations say that they were terrified. They were more afraid after the storm was calmed than they were during the storm. (laughs) What do we do with someone like you? Should we even be in the same boat as you? They thought they were only in danger with the presence of a wild storm until he calmed the storm and then they realized and now we realize what do you do in the presence of someone whose word has the final verdict? Whatever he says goes. That's all the more fearful. He can look at you and leverage a verdict and it stands. And yet, here's what I want you to notice about his power, because that ought to bring a sense of fear in all of us. He uses his power not to shame, but he uses his power with patience and for deliverance. (laughs) They're more afraid after the storm was calmed. What do we do in the presence of someone with such power? You recognize that he uses his power for your good. And then you probably fall asleep in the boat too. You see it. I want to move to this third piece here, the unmanageability of Jesus. The unmanageability of Jesus. There's a tension in this passage that we've got to deal with or or, or we're going to miss the point. In verse 38 it says this, And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus is asleep And it feels like in this moment where experienced sailors don't know what to do, this is beyond their pay grade of navigating the seas. Jesus, don't you care? You're asleep and it feels like you don't. Jesus, don't don't you love us? If you loved us, we wouldn't be going through this storm. Jesus, don't you see what's happening here? Can't you do something? You've, You've healed the sick. You've forgiven sins. You've You've cast out demons. Don't you care that we're experiencing this? Can't you say something? You need to say something right now. If you don't do something right now, if you really loved us, you would do something right now. If you don't, we're going to die. It's crazy. They've had all kinds of moments to understand that Jesus does care. Jesus does love them. He does see them. He does have power. And in this moment, it's like they have no experience of those other moments because all of this moment suggests is the urgency of Maybe he doesn't. And it's crazy. I just want to point this out because aren't we this way? Aren't we this way? Jesus, don't you love me? Jesus, don't you see? My life is crazy right now. This relationship has gone completely crazy. This doctor report has me spinning. Jesus, don't you see? Don't you love me? If you, really, if you were really there, then you would do something about this. If you were really good, Jesus, then you would come through. And it feels like he's sleeping. I've been there. Not just one time. Like that's, that's a recurring experience, isn't it? 
there's a way in which we can relate to the disciples here. And yet there's, there's something here that we have to understand. It's, it's a hard lesson, but it's, it's really clear. We don't get to control our storms. Like, like we don't get to pick our storms. We don't get to pick what they are. We don't get to pick when they come, as though there's a better moment than not. We don't get to pick the kind of storm. We don't get to pick when it comes. We don't get to pick how long it lasts. And we also don't get to control the power of Jesus either. It's a hard lesson here. You don't get to control him. That's what was happening with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. If you had just been here, he wouldn't have died, right? Jesus, what are you doing sleeping in this moment? And so what I want us to see is we don't get to boss Jesus around. His power isn't something that we manage as though he's now given it to us. And this passage isn't here to promise us that every storm will be stopped in the way that we want, in the timing that we want. That's not what this passage is here to teach us. This passage is here to teach us that Jesus can be trusted even when it feels like he's sleeping. Jesus can be trusted even when it feels like he's sleeping. Because this passage suggests he's not absent He's not absent. He's there in the midst of the storm with them. He's not out of control. In fact, he's so in control that he's taking a nap. And it's not as though he doesn't care. He cares intensely because he hears their cries. He cares intensely. And so I just want to say this as best I know how because I know there's a variety of stories and a variety of pains in the room in any given season. I don't know why God allows some of the things that he allows. I don't know why he does it. And I don't know why he remains quiet sometimes. Just like it seemed like, wouldn't it have been more reasonable if Jesus could have seen this storm coming and then stopped it from coming? Jesus didn't stop this storm from coming. He probably knew it was coming. It's like the, the theology of meteorology, right? Gary England would have loved wisdom like this. <laughs> but he didn't stop this storm from coming. He let it come. And this points us back, if you were with us several months ago, this points us back to our study in the book of Job, doesn't it? We don't know why things happen. Job didn't know why things happen. But here's what we can know. Here's what you can know. Here's what we have to know. He doesn't abandon us. His presence in the storm is the only thing that matters. Hey, let me just say this to you. Hey, what if your storm stopped, but you didn't have his presence? Is that, is that the better option? What if part of the reason for the storm is to teach you, to teach me, just how faithful he is in the assurance of his presence even on the dark night? I think that was part of the lesson for the disciples that day. Hey, darker nights are going to come. I just need you to see that I can be trusted even here. I can be trusted even here. I read this week that the early Christians, Christians in the first and second century, would often read this story to themselves over and over again. They would rehearse this story. There's early Christian art of this story because 
in the midst of persecution, they would remind themselves, Jesus hasn't abandoned us in the midst of the storm. That doesn't mean that Nero stopped burning their relatives. That doesn't mean that people ceased to have their heads cut off. That doesn't mean that persecution ceased to stop. It just means that they hadn't been abandoned. And that their suffering, their persecution, wouldn't get the final word. Here's why. Because the final word only belongs to Jesus. He's a God who can put heads back on. He's a God who brings dead to life. The unmanageability of Jesus. Here's where I want to finish this morning. Here's the, the landing. The patience and the supremacy of Jesus. The story tells us about the patience and the supremacy of Jesus. Notice again at verse 40. Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Jesus says to these guys, hey, why, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? It's important that we kind of try to imagine the tone Jesus said this with. The tone of Jesus is really important here. There's a variety of ways this could come across and be different. But we know it lands this way because of the rest of his testimony. Hey, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? He could have said anything here. Jesus could have scolded these guys. I was having a really good nap. He could have scolded them. He could have judged them. He could have said, I'm through with you guys. I'm going to go find some other disciples who can understand better and do what I want them to do. Not be such an inconvenience to me. But he doesn't do that. The 12 disciples, this is a first of many moments we're going to see in the book of Mark. They're consistently getting it wrong. They consistently mess things up. This is the first, again, of many moments. But here's what Jesus does. Instead of cashing them in for some other group of disciples, he responds with these words of patience. Why are you so afraid? Haven't you seen evidence of these things? Do you still not have faith? Why are you so afraid? And why does Jesus respond this way? It's not just because he has all power. That's already been shown. But his power is matched with perfect goodness and love. That's why he responds this way. Jesus knows, check this with me, like I've been just sitting with this this week, Jesus knows just how deep the storm of sin and self-love rages inside of us. He knows just how crazy the storm of sin and self-love rages inside of us. He knew what he was getting himself into with storm-crazy sinners. And so he responds with patience. That's why he came. Like patience in this moment with sinners that can't understand him, that don't know what to do with him, it's why he came. One of the things that caught my attention this week is just how similar this moment is to the story of Jonah. Think back in your Bible catalog to the book of Jonah. In both stories, you have one sent by God in a boat. In both stories, you have a great storm come upon that boat. In both stories, you have the one sent of God sleeping in the boat. The sailors on that boat were afraid for their life. God brings a calm to the storm, and in both stories, the sailors were more afraid after the calm came because of the power of God than they were during the storm that was causing them to fear for their life. There's only one major difference between the story of Jonah and this moment. 
Jonah was in the storm because of his own sin and his refusal to join God on mission to preach forgiveness to sinners. That's why the storm came. But in this moment, Jesus is in the storm on the boat with sinners on mission with the Father to offer forgiveness to all who would hear him. In this moment, Jesus brings a calm to the storm by saying, peace, be still. But this is a shadow of a greater moment to come when Jesus would be swallowed by the storm of God's judgment for sin in our place while the disciples slept on him. In Jesus' greatest moment, hour of need, the disciples slept on him. Don't you care that your Lord is perishing? Don't you care that your Lord is perishing in your place, on your behalf, in the storm of judgment of God for sin, your sin, not his own? But yet again, Jesus calmed that storm too. And he did it with three words. It is finished. Anything, any storm that would ever threat to separate you from God, it's done. Any sin that would come between you and the Father, it's been atoned for. Anything that would stand in the way of God's good power working for your good, it's finished. This is the rest that the Christian can have in the storm because his presence is with us. You see it. So it's true that Jesus can be trusted in the storm. He can be trusted then, he can be trusted now, and he can be trusted forever. There's coming a day when every storm will cease. And so I don't know what you're walking with today. I don't know what you would call your storm. But as we land today, I I want you to hear the invitation that you can bring your storm to Jesus. You can bring your storm to Jesus and you can make your requests, and you can trust him. Let's pray together. Hey, just take a moment before I pray, just to, in in your own kind of prayerful presence with God, just take a moment to offer him what might feel like is your storm today. Name it, name it to him. Name to him how it makes you to feel. and ask him to help you. Jesus, we confess that all power is yours. Jesus, we confess that we don't manage you. Jesus, we confess and we say thank you for your patience And thank you that you reign supreme over all things. And I pray that you would meet my friends today and whatever their storm may be. And you would show yourself to be both present and savior. And God, for anyone here today who 
is not yet a follower of Jesus, for anyone here who is sort of on the outside looking in, I pray that, Father, you would communicate to them by the power of your spirit today that you receive them by, if they would confess you by faith and that you want to step into the boat with them. Father, I pray for anyone here today who would consider following Jesus as Lord to actually step across the line of faith. And Father, we offer this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.